for that. John chapter 5, uh, Jesus is, and we left last week, I think we'll pick up in verse number 31, is really where the story, um, where we left off, it kind of shifts again. And if you remember, Jesus had an encounter with these Pharisees, and now he's kind of on trial. That's really the, the title of the message is Jesus is on trial. He's, he needs witnesses to prove he, who he's, his claims, Jesus claims to be the Son of God. And anybody that makes a claim like that, you need some proof. You can't just go around saying uh, that Jesus is uh, the Son of God and not have any witnesses. So John 5 is kind of a turning point in the life and ministry of the Lord because up until this time, Jesus has been trusted and respected and as a teacher and a healer. And now Jesus does two things that causes the religious leaders in John 5 to turn on him. He, if you remember in John 5, he heals this man by the pool of Bethesda. He heals a man on the Sabbath day. And then he claims to be the Son of God and equal with God. Now from this point, the religious leaders seek to put him to death. And already in John 5, Jesus makes some claims to his deity. Uh, you'll find that he claimed to be equal with God in his person. He says that they have the same nature, the same attributes, the, the same will. He also claimed to be equal with God in His work. He only does what His Father tells Him to do. He claims to be equal with the Father in His intelligence and in His wisdom. He understands the mind of His Father. He claims to be equal with His Father in power, even to the point of raising the dead back to life. I mean, these are powerful claims. He claims to be equal with His Father in imparting eternal life. He claims to be equal with His Father in judgment authority. And now Jesus, as it were, puts Himself on trial to prove that He is equal with God. And by the way, here He is. He's going to call a, a number of witnesses in this trial to His defense we as the jury must deliberate and weigh the evidence that we read and that we see and reach a verdict about Jesus. Jesus is about to call four witnesses in our text. And the word witness is a key word in John's gospel because you'll find the word witness 47 times in the book of John. And notice in John 31... We pick up our reading and the Bible says in John 5, 31, If I bear witness, there it is, of myself, my witness is not true. I want you to notice the word true there. It really means valid. He's saying that, that if I bear witness of myself, my witness is not valid. So by Jewish law, the validity of a claim, any claim, had to be verified. We know this by at least two or three witnesses. Even Jesus taught that. So two or three witnesses had to be the ones that would say, yes, this claim is true. Jesus said that in Matthew chapter 18. He also, uh, in, it was declared by God in Deuteronomy 17 and Deuteronomy chapter 19. Therefore, Jesus' witness alone was not enough. And Jesus, the master defense attorney here in our text, produces four witnesses to testify about himself. The first witness we come to is the forerunner's witness. 
That would be John the Baptist. Look with me in verse number 32. There is another that beareth witness of me. And I know that the witness which he witnesseth of me is true. Verse 33. Ye sent unto John, and he bear witness unto the truth. But I receive not testimony from man, but these things I say that ye might be saved. Look at verse 35. He was a burning and shining light, and ye were willing for a season to rejoice in his Light. So we see the first person that comes to the grand, uh, the, the, the testimony, the grand jury, the testimony stand is none other than John the Baptist, the forerunner's witness. And the purpose of John the Baptist's ministry was to prepare the nation of Israel for the Messiah. Turn with me to John chapter 1. I want you to see the whole purpose of John in uh, John chapter 1, the whole purpose of his ministry is found in verse number 23. He said this, he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, and said, uh, and as said the prophet Esaias. He, the whole purpose of John's ministry was to proclaim or prepare the nation of Israel for the Messiah. And then... Not only to prepare them, but to identify him. Go down to verse number 31 of that same chapter. Uh, John chapter 1 and verse 31. And I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore am I come baptizing with water. So he was to identify who he was. John 1 15. Uh, he said in John chapter 1 and verse number 15. John bare witness of him and cried saying this was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me for he was before me. So this is John's whole role. He was responsible for uh, proclaiming, pre- preparing uh, the the Israel, the nation Israel, for the Son of God. Israel had not been or had a prophet of God for 400 years until John the Baptist came on the scene. And since John the Baptist gave testimony concerning Jesus, Jesus now gives testimony concerning John the Baptist. Matthew chapter 11, you don't have to turn there. John chapter 5, verse 35, it's exactly what Jesus says. He was a burning and shining light, and ye were willing for a season to rejoice in His light. So Jesus then says, yep, John, that was Him. He was here for me. John's whole existence, John's whole ministry was to prepare you for who I am. John's burning inner zeal for Jesus made him a shining light in a very dark time. And by the way, application for you and I, we ought to be a light in a dark time. We ought to let our light shine. Uh, someone has said, well said, the best argument for Christianity is Christians. Their joy, their certainty, and their completeness. But the strongest argument against Christianity is also Christians. When they're self-righteous and smug and half-hearted commitment to Jesus. Isn't that true? We are the greatest testimony to Christ. The, you, the way you live, the way you walk, the way you serve, the way you, rejo- the way you suffer. It often lets the world know who you believe and if he's real or not. John is the very first witness for the case for Christ. Here's the second witness. 
The second witness is found in verse 36. He said, but I have a greater witness than that of John. Okay, well, somebody else steps up to the stand. Greater than John the Baptist. This must be good. For the works which the Father hath given me to finish, the same works that I do bear witness of me that the Father hath sent me. So in this one verse, in verse number 36, Jesus says, I even have somebody that's even better, a better witness than that of John the Baptist. Well, who would that be? It's the finished works. A matter of fact, it's, it's right there in verse 36. The works that Jesus is referring to is none other than the miracles that he had done. In his defense, Jesus moves from the verbal to the visual evidence. And John selected seven signs to include in his gospel as proof as Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus put on a high premium in his, in his miracles and repeatedly pointed to his miraculous works and confirmation and claim to be the Son of God and the Messiah. John chapter 10, John chapter 14, Matthew chapter 11. All these texts lead uh, to, for us to see the miraculous, the miracles on display And it was the miracles of our Lord that caused Nicodemus to admit that Jesus was sent from God. In John chapter 3, we've done covered that. John chapter 7, many believe that he was a Christ because of his miracles. Let me share some miracles with you and and maybe why they are related to our Lord's miracles. Number one, their number that Jesus performed. The Bible says many miracles. Matter of fact, we have a lot of miracles that are listed. I think 35 miracles, different miracles that are listed in John's gospel or something like that. And, and, and then there's a verse in here, and I can't write off the top of my head, but, but there's, there's many miracles that our Lord would have done or did do, rather, He did do, that are not recorded in our Bible because the Bible says the world could not contain it. Meaning that Jesus did things that when we get to heaven we'll find out. But right now we don't know. And, and he just listed these miracles and they are in great in number. Aren't you thankful for that? That we serve a miracle working Savior. We have some that we can read about but some we'll just have to wait and see about. That's exciting. Then we see their greatness They were not small miracles, but great and mighty ones. We're going to get to some. I'm looking forward to next Sunday. We're going to talk about the the feeding of the 5,000. Oh, that's one of my favorites. I I love another one is raising Lazarus from the dead. Oh, I like the one we just talked about. Oh, uh, by by the pool of Bethesda. And I like the, I like all these miracles that Jesus did. I love him calming the the storms on the Sea of Galilee. I, I love casting those demons out of that demoniac. I like the miracles that Jesus did and the greatness. So they were, they, were more, they were a lot in number. They were great and they were public. You'll notice that when Jesus did miracles, a lot of times and often they were people around. He didn't do them in a corner. He did them in public. They were character, their character. There were acts of love and mercy and compassion. They were irrefutable. They were visible and many would bear examination. The miracles reveal God. God's very nature, power, character are seen in all of these miracles. The greatest testimony for Christ in the power is to transform the lives of men and women. And by the way, that's still going on today. These miracles... 
Some liberals try to explain away the Lord's miracles and they, they scoff at them and, and, uh, and, and all. But these miracles prove that Jesus is who he claims to be. So we have witness number one is John the Baptist. Witness number two, according to Jesus in verse 36, uh, 36 is that his own miracles, his own works are his witness. Here's number three. Go back with me to John 5.32. I want us to go back. John 5.32. There is another that beareth witness of me. And I know that the witness which he witnesseth of me is true. Now go down to verse number 37. And the Father himself which hath sent me hath borne witness of me. Ye have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his shape. And ye have not his word abiding in you, for whom he hath sent him ye believe not. See, that's part of the problem. They believed and seen some of the miracles, but they didn't believe the God of the miracles. The third witness that Jesus says that that is witnessing for me to claim who I am and who I say I am is none other than the Father's word. The Father's Word. God the Father. Notice Jesus introduces His Father in verse 32. There is another. There are two Greek words that I'm interested in. They're translated another. It's the word herotos, which we get our, Greek, uh, our, our, our regular word like we would use for uh, heterosexual. Uh, it means one of a different kind. That's where we get that word from. And then the word alos means another of the same kind. Jesus actually uses that term. Jesus used this same to describe the Holy Spirit of God in our text. And and if you go over to John 14, you can see it used. It means one just like myself. So what do you mean by that? Well, Jesus is actually saying the Father and the Son and the Spirit are all alike. They're all one. They're co-equal. They're they're one of the same kind. And the gospel records two specific instances in which the father gave a verbal testimony to his son. We've already read about one, but at his baptism, Jesus was, was said as he was baptized, God said this, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He also did that at his transfiguration. So twice the father speaks an audible voice and proclaims about his son that he's pleased about his son. He said, this is my beloved son and I am well pleased. So the father's word, the father is one that would testify and Jesus is declaring that I and my father are one. We are the same and I believe that. And here's the fourth and final witness and this is really, uh, to me, the almost the, not the most exciting, but it's pretty exciting. It's the faithful writings. The faithful writings. I want you to look in verse number 39. Here's what Jesus says. He says, uh, now remember, he says the first witness is John the Baptist. He says our second witness is the miracles or the works. He says the third witness is the Father's words. But then the fourth witness is the father or the faithful writings. Verse 39, the Bible says this, search the scriptures. Now this is what Jesus says. Search the scriptures for in them ye think that ye have eternal life. And they are they which testify of me. Go down to verse 45. Do not think that I will accuse you to the father. There is one that accuses you, even Moses, in whom ye trust for 
Had ye believed Moses, ye would have believed me, for he wrote of me. There it is. Search the scriptures. He wrote of me, the writings. Notice verse 47. But if ye believe not his writings, how shall ye believe my words? The word search means to examine, to investigate, to pour over with diligence. And he said to search the scriptures because they testify of me. That is, that is the reason we're in here this evening. Notice that verse again, and, and this is a good one to memorize. Search the scriptures. I want to just pause right now and say it does not say read the scriptures. See, we have a lot of people who read the Bible. And, and listen, I'm proud of you for reading the Bible and that's wonderful. Is everybody okay in the back? Y'all good? All right. Uh, I'm okay with you reading the Bible. That's great. If I, if I find out my church reads the Bible, that's a blessing. But can I say we're really to examine, to search the Scriptures. So we, have to, we, we don't have many today that search the Scriptures and find out what they believe on their own. That's why we have so many shallow Christians today that are not really familiar. And listen, I, if you come to me and say, Pastor, I read my Bible from cover to cover, and that is great. And I love it when you do that. And I think it maybe should, I mean, if you want to, that's a good goal to have uh, every year if that's something you'd like to do. But I'm telling you, if you came and said, Pastor, I'm not just going to read my Bible from cover to cover this year. I'm going to take a book or two books or three books and I'm really going to dive in these books and I'm going to search and investigate and study because we're commanded to study the Scripture. And I'm not just going to read my Bible. I'm going to search the Scriptures. That's when you'll start getting nuggets of truth. You'll start getting, oh, you'll start getting great things and I believe that John 5.39 is probably a statement of fact and not a command and could be rendered. You're searching the scriptures thinking that in doing so ye have eternal life. Now think about this. The Jewish scribes of that day sought to know the word of God but didn't know the God of the word. So they were familiar with the word of God as they had it. Uh, especially the old, the law, and what Moses had wrote down. They were familiar with that and God, but they did not know the God in which Moses had wrote. And there's many people today that are familiar with the Bible, but they just don't know the God of the Bible. And listen, the reason that I preach the text, the reason that I preach the Bible, the reason that people are starving to death and they don't, that they're so spiritually malnourished and, and so Bible illiterate is because they're not reading and searching on their own. And most churches today are not even preaching the scriptures. That's why it's important for you to get in a Bible class or a Bible group or a small group or something and learn the Scriptures and not just discuss uh, the times and discuss other things, but get in the Word of God and discuss the Word of God. and Search the Scriptures. These scribes knew nothing about the Word of God and they counted the very letters of the text, but they missed the spiritual truths that the text contained. And it's unfortunate when our study of the Bible makes us arrogant instead of humble. I'm not interested in how much Bible you know. I want to know if you're living it. 
there was someone that came out this morning and, and I got to talk to them just a little bit and they said, preacher, pray for so-and-so. And this is somebody I don't know. It's somebody. They said, pray for so-and-so. They, they know a lot of Bible, but it's caused them to be proud. They won't even go to church anymore. Here's their reasoning. They won't go to church anymore because they feel like they're above. Well, I already know more than they do, so why should I go there? That's not the God of the Scripture. I don't know what you're reading, pal, but you're missing it. That You didn't get that from the Holy Spirit. You didn't get that from God. Nobody, God didn't die and make you God. The Spirit of God didn't go away and make you the Spirit of God. Listen, all of us need to sometimes sit around the Word of God and let somebody just open it up and go at it. Because He will, listen, if He rightly divides the Scripture, something's going to cut. And if it's making, if, if reading this and memorizing this is making you proud instead of humble, then we got a problem. There's a lot of people today that know a lot about historical facts. There's a lot of folks, I know, actually, I know a personal uh, atheist that knows a lot about the Bible. They know a lot about the Bible, but they're an atheist, meaning that they're reading this book for a historical lesson. And they can tell you facts. They can tell you things about Jesus. They can tell you about His birth. They can tell you about all these things. But listen to me. It's just a book like the Koran, like the, uh, the, the Book of Mormon. The, these Mormons that's been coming to our services on Sunday morning. In case you, you, you're not aware, uh, we've had the, the more, some Mormon missionaries just popping in. And uh, last Sunday they were here and I preached on the deity of Christ. And that was just in the next text. That wasn't on purpose. The, the Sunday they came before that, I preached something else on, on Jesus. And they're hearing it. Well, well last week, uh, one of the, and, and they're really nice young man, especially the leader. I think he's kind of the lead uh, guy. I don't know if his mom and dad know he's coming here or his leader or whatever. Uh, probably wouldn't be too happy if they knew. But he came to me and he said, Preacher, I appreciate you preaching. This is what he said out in the lobby. Appreciate you preaching with such passion. And I said, oh, yeah, we're supposed to be that way. And he said, here, I'm going to give you a book that changed my life. And I said, okay. I was ready for it. And he gave me the Book of Mormon. I said, are you sure this book changed your life? He said, oh, yeah. I, I, it changed. I said, did it really change your life? I said, can I give you a book that changed my life? I went back there and grabbed a, a, a Bible. It was the only thing I could get was a New Testament. I gave him. I said, listen, if you'll read this. Oh, yeah, I know the New Testament. Oh, I love that. And I said, I promise you if you will read it through... Searching the scriptures, you'll find that that stuff you're dabbling in is false. Oh, pastor, you would tell, yeah, we're supposed to. You can't come three, three or four times and not get hit between the eyes with the gospel, amen? I'll be friendly and be kind and be cordial, but I'm going to preach the truth to you because I don't know when the last time you're going to come, but I know this, what you're reading is not true. Either, either uh, we, we've got a choice to make and these Jewish scribes, they sought to know the Word of God but didn't know the God of the Word. And it's unfortunate when our study of the Bible makes us arrogant instead of humble. And these Jewish leaders thought the Scriptures and, and they, they, uh, the study of the Scriptures would gain them eternal life and they thought the Scriptures rather than God was the source of life. And let me say that it's very possible for a person to become a biblical scholar and not be saved. 
These Jews allowed Bible studies to become an academic, but not allow themselves to be drawn closer to the God because of it. And then they became so preoccupied with the details of the Scripture that they missed the truths contained in the Scriptures. And they enjoyed judging the Word of God, but they would not allow the Word of God to judge them. I've had Bible teachers like that. Jesus exposed their hearts in verse 42. Look at it of, of John 5. But I know you. This is what Jesus said. Boy, did he ever. And by the way, he knows you. He knows me. But I know you that ye have not the love of God in you. Oh, uh, preacher, you ought to be so nice and preach like Jesus preached. Really? Jesus was the toughest preacher ever to live. You want to read his other message in Matthew to the Pharisees. Roughest message ever. He called them a generation of vipers. Whited sepulchers. I mean, he, buddy, he blistered their hide. Well, here he looks at this religious crowd and he says, I know you. I know you and you don't have the love of Jesus in you. He says it in verse 42. And ye have not the love of God in you. Now, how would you like for me to get up and say, hey, buddy, I know you and you. The love of God doesn't exist in you. Oh, pastor, that's direct. Jesus did it. Jesus exposed their hearts. They loved their own opinions about the word of God. And Jesus summed their problem up in really Matthew chapter 15. Can you turn over there with me? I believe that will tie everything together. Matthew chapter 15. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 15. Look at verse number 8 and 9. This is a rough message. He reproves the scribes. And here's what he says in verse 7 of Matthew 15. Ye hypocrites. Well, did Esaias prophesy of you saying? This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Now, let me tell you something. Jesus knows the heart. And you can say one thing, but internally be another place or be another person. He said this, in verse 9, But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. And by the way, that junk still exists today. We're so worried about the outer. Jesus in the New Testament dealt with the heart. And he still did with the heart. Let me tell you something. The Word of God, when you study the Scriptures it ought to do something to the heart. Jesus was saying, if you want to know who I am, who I say I am, just read Genesis through Malachi and see everything about my birth, my life, my ministry, my death, my resurrection, my earthly role was predicted and detailed hundreds of years before I ever came to earth. There are over 300 specific prophecies that Jesus fulfilled in His first coming. We're told in the Old Testament prophecy about our Lord's lineage. Genesis chapter 9 verse 26 and 27 we're told of the three sons of Noah that the Messiah would come through Shem. 
of the descendants of Sham were told that the Messiah would come through Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 and Genesis chapter 22. Of the two sons of Abraham, the Messiah would come through Isaac in Genesis chapter 21. Of the two sons of Isaac, he would come through Jacob in Genesis chapter 34. Of the twelve sons of Jacob were told that the Messiah would come not from the noble Joseph that we love, but from the scoundrel Judah in Genesis 49. And of the descendants of Judah, were, were, they were all rejected except the family of Jesse in Isaiah chapter 11. And of the sons of Jesse, all were rejected but the youngest, David, in Jeremiah 23. And the Lord narrowed down his Messiah's family tree until it could only be a descendant of Abraham through Isaac, through Jacob, through Judah, through Jesse, through David. And the first words of the New Testament are a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. It's not just a word... But it's proof that Jesus is who he says he is. Micah chapter 5 and verse number 2. We're told that not only would Jesus be born from David's family. But we're told that he would be born in David's city. Though thou be little. Talking about a little place. Micah was talking about a place called Bethlehem. In Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, we're told that he would be born of a virgin and named Emmanuel. In Malachi chapter 3, verse number 1, in Malachi chapter 4 and verse 5, that an Elijah-like figure would live in the wilderness and cry out a message warning the people to prepare the way of the Lord. In Isaiah chapter 9, and Isaiah chapter 11, and Isaiah chapter 52, Isaiah chapter 53, we are actually told of the character traits of Jesus. He would be holy, he would be righteous, he would be good, he would be faithful, he would be innocent, he would be zealous, he would be meek, he would be forgiving, he would be loving, he would be full of justice. All prophesied hundreds of years before he came. In Zechariah chapter 9 verse 9 we're told that his ministry would begin in Galilee and would climax in Jerusalem. Which the Messiah would humbly enter riding in on a young donkey. I mean we're talking about details. All of these things prophesied hundreds of years and here we are in the New Testament and people still don't believe. Psalms 22, we're told that he would be put to death on a cross. We call it the Messianic Psalms. John 5.40, he says this, look at it with me in John 5.40. And ye will not come to me that ye might have life. Skip down to verse 42. But I know you that ye have not the love of God in you. Verse 43. And I am come in the Father's name and ye receive me not. And if another shall come in his own name, him ye will receive. Verse 44. How can ye believe which ye receive honor of another, one of another? And seek not the honor that cometh from God only. Verse 47. But if ye believe not his writings, how shall ye believe my words? The Jews listened to the Lord's witness and still, listen, still rejected Him. 
All of these verses that I listed, and there's no, there's no amount of time tonight that if I read every one of these references, and you can go home and, and study these out, and you can go both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, all of these things that in, in a lot of these Old Testament writings the Jews knew, and yet they still could not see that He was the Messiah. Their decision brought them death. And I'm not talking about death by the grave. I'm talking about death by hell. These men were lost. And they had a decision to make. Who is this Christ? And by the way, can I say this this evening? You have heard the same witness that these Jewish leaders heard. Tonight. And some of these scriptures that I've read this evening... You have already known these verses for years. I do not for the life of me understand. I don't for the life of me understand how anyone can attend a church like this and die and go to hell. Somebody help me. How you can hear that Jesus is the Christ. Not just a claim from a pulpit and just saying it without Scripture. I'm talking about hundreds of references and you still walk out of here and say, yeah, that's good for them, but that's not good enough for me. And you can leave a Baptist lost person. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's always been. He's the preexistent one. He was here at creation. Jesus, a Theophanes. There through the Old Testament appearances of, of Christ, we would see Him come in different times. Jesus then appears in Bethlehem, born of a virgin, lives a sinless life, and, and had a wonderful ministry for three and a half years, and then dies on the cross, and was buried, and three days later He arose from the dead, and now He's on the right hand of the Father doing a greatest work. Interceding for you and me. That Jesus, that same Jesus. Many will say, just not good enough. The Jews of this time was staring Jesus right in the face. And left still lost. That's why it does not surprise me as a pastor when someone has been saved or or been attending church for 25 years and 30 years will come up and say, Pastor, I need to get saved. What was it? They knew the God, uh, they knew God in the Bible, but they didn't know God of the Bible. It was a formality. Let's not let the God of the Bible become a formality. And let me just say this salvation is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Personal relationship. The Jesus that I preached this evening, that same Jesus wants to spend time with you. Think about it. He wants to spend time with you. Let's make a decision this evening. You've heard the Word of God preach. I challenge you. I do. I challenge you to go back and listen to this. And, and take some of the references and the claims and the, and the four witnesses that Jesus had. The Father and of course His miracles and John the Baptist and the writings. Take those claims as Jesus did and do some research yourself. Write them down. 
study his lineage. Go, go back, start in Genesis and go through. And you say, Pastor, I'm just going to do a study on Jesus. Hey, I promise you, you won't be disappointed. And if you'll do that, you'll come to a conclusion that Jesus Christ is who he claims to be.